0: I forgot to mention that this is a new piece of furniture to our stage, something that we've really wanted to have for a long time, and Micaiah Elliott built this for us in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Micaiah, great job. Um, He's very talented, as you can see, so this is a uh, great—I'm really excited about this. I'm the one that gets the benefit from this the most, so I'm fired up. So you're probably all like, hey, that's new, or something's different up there, um, I can't see all of Jeremy um, today, you know, so this is, this is a little different. I feel a little bit more um, hidden back here um, today. Um, this week, as I was trying to think about um, kind of a way to illustrate what we're talking about today, I um, had some help from some friends about um, an illustration. And if you remember um, the movie that came out not too long ago, um, Toy Story 4, right, Toy Story 4, um, I think it's one of the best kids' movies that's come out in the last few years. All the Toy Stories are, but Toy Story 4 was, was, was really good. And there's this character in the story named Forky, right? Forky He's probably at least one of the funnier character, characters in that movie. And Forky, if you remember, was, was created by Bonnie in the classroom to give her company. He, she made a toy basically out of components that normally would be thrown into the trash, right? And so she makes Forky into a toy, right? For her, that was her intention behind making Forky. Well, Forky doesn't really get this at the beginning, right? And he keeps wanting to go back and jump, jump in the trash can. If you remember in the first part of the movie, he just says, trash, trash, I'm trash. And that's, that's the only word he can say. That's, he's fully embraced himself as trash. And all the other toys are trying to, to convince him that no, like, you're a toy now. My body made you into a toy. You have a creator. She made you to be a toy. She made you for companionship, and you belong with us. You're a toy like the rest of us. You belong like, the, like all of us. And that was a great illustration for what we're talking about today because we're going to talk about God creating us, creating the world. And if you notice in that kind of narrative that Forky was, was created for something very specific. Bonnie created him for companionship, to be an actual toy. Well, he thought he was created just, he was just trash. Like, he didn't really have a purpose, or his purpose was to be in the bottom of a trash can. That was what he thought his purpose was. And even as we watch that movie, it's kind of frustrating, and I found myself frustrated as, as he still can't get it, right? Like, what's it going to take for Forky to understand that he's a toy now, that he has a purpose that he can make Bonnie smile and hang out with the other toys and all of those things, and the, the kind of the thesis today, the main idea today is that God created us in His image for us to know Him and for us to glorify Him. Okay, and really, what we're aiming at today is answering this big question: Why were we created? What's our purpose? Why are we here? It doesn't matter. Where you're at with God in this room, you have answered that question in your mind. You have. You're, you're living in such a way that really is, is, kind of, of, is, is fruit or evidence of what you think about that question. Why you're here? Why are you created? God created us in his image to know him and to glorify him. And when we don't live how for the purpose that we were created for... We, um, we, um, we shortchange ourselves. We we're not going to flourish as much. We're not going to experience as much freedom and joy as we would if we were truly living the way God designed us. And this fits into this new series that we started, that we're calling The True and Better Story, where we're looking at the Bible as one big story. 66 books put together that have a clear narrative structure to it. There's common themes that run through the book of the Bible. Yes, it does have guidelines and some rules to follow. It is full of inspiring stories that can help us. It's full of moral ethical commands and values that we should adopt. But it is so much more than those things. It's a story. It's a it's a narrative. It's a divine drama. There's a clear storyline in the Bible from beginning to end, and it has all the ingredients of a good story. And Last week, we made the point that you can either live in the story that God is writing for you in Jesus, or you can live in a lesser story, and it will be a lesser story. If you aren't living in the biblical story, you will be living in a lesser story, and so to, to, really, to really understand this, we're going to look at really the first act or the first um, kind of movement of the narrative. We're going to look at creation, right? Last week we talked about story. This week we're looking at creation, act one, uh, the very beginning of the narrative. And to understand this creation account that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we have to understand why God is having Moses write it. Like he, he communicates to Moses and he, and he has Moses write what he wants written down. In the creation account, this is where a lot of us go, I think, go wrong in how we interpret Genesis 1 and 2. We want these two chapters of the Bible to answer all of our questions about life. But really, the purpose of writing this. The, the, these chapters are really t- two, right? The God was answering two questions in Genesis 1 and 2. Who created everything and why he created it? Why did he create it? Right? Who created it and why did he create it? And once we start trying to, to answer, well, how was it created? And when was it created? And what were the details behind creation? We go off the rails a little bit because the Bible isn't intentionally meaning to answer those questions. Can we come up with ideas and beliefs on so that? Of course, but we have to remember that it was written to answer who created it and why was everything created. In the Bible at this time, the, the, as the, the people around God's people were, were um, and even God's people themselves prior to Genesis 12 and Abram, they were polytheistic, right? They were worshiping many gods. They weren't monotheistic. They, they weren't focused on one god. They had many gods. And they treated their gods more like either like genies where they would come to them and, and, and when they needed them and ask them questions or needed something. Or they treated them like these fickle tyrants that they always felt like they had to appease so they wouldn't get destroyed or wiped out. This was kind of the view of depending on which god you were talking about in a polytheistic culture. So if we really ask, what, why was Genesis 1 and 2 written, and in what manner was it written, in, it was really, scholars will say, it's written in a very argumentative way. It's very clear that um, God, through Moses, is trying to um, kind of write in such a way that he connects with the, the current culture that it was written into, but also communicates something different about the biblical God. That instead of being this distant, this, this fickleness as it comes to God that you always have to appease to get rain or to get crops to grow or to be fertile, all of those different types of things had a God matched up to it. The biblical God that, that, that God is trying to reveal about himself through Moses is the fact that um, he is engaged with humans. He wants a relationship with humans. He has a purpose for humans. He wants to connect with them. He wants to have a relationship with them. He has given humans responsibility to steward the things that he has created here on earth. So if we see, like, that's, why, that's, what the, that's where the original audience was when, we, when they were reading Genesis 1 and 2. So really, it's answering the question, who created it and why did he create it? Let's look at Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Actually, just start with verse 1 here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? First, first verse, first chapter of the Bible, God created everything, right? Created the heavens and the earth, and we see the, the subsequent days after that. So when we talk about God being the creator, right, we, we can approach this, I think, in one of three ways. One, we can, and maybe some of you are, are atheists in this room. That's the first way to approach this, right, to say there's no God. That's probably the most straightforward, right? There's no God, so all of this is, is just really not true, right? It didn't really happen because there isn't a God, okay? That's very straightforward. The second way to approach this, I think, is a little bit more subtle and probably something that we're more likely to buy into without realizing it, right? It's called theistic humanism, theistic humanism. And I have a definition up here because that's kind of a philosophical idea here. It's, it's um, the combination of humanistic ideals, right, particularly the idea that ideals and morals stem from society with a belief in the supernatural and transcendental. Here's what this means, right? So if you're a um, theistic humanist, what you would say is, yes, I believe there's a God. He, he, he created, he's out there, but the way I get knowledge, the things that are revealed to me on earth, it's really a pursuit of humanity." Like humanity's the one that discovers things. Humanity's the one that, has, that can take the credit for the world being the way it is. The good things that come along in the world, those are, the humans are the ones that are doing it, not God. God kind of created it. It's kind of a deistic idea. God kind of created the, the earth, kind of wound it up the way you wind up a clock, and he kind of let things go. So from now on, it's, it's humans, it's us that kind of make the calls, make the decision, do those things. And this really puts ourselves functionally on, in, in the seat of God, right? We can kind of say God created because we don't want to be an atheist, but we kind of act like this is our world. Um, we have control of it. We're kind of the captain of our ship here on earth. And so everything that we see from, that we kind of t- intake from God, we have to kind of check with something else that, that, um, that, that humans have created. The third option here is Christian theism. And this is biblical theism, right? And a couple of kind of characteristics about Christian theism, it's that the fact that God made everything in the universe. He made it all. And he gets to determine and interpret all the things and all the events, period. He's sovereign, he's powerful, he's involved in every single thing that happens here on earth, period. And he, that is his prerogative because he is the creator and we are the creation. And second kind of thing under Christian theism is because we are created in the image of God, we know we are dependent upon God for everything, for the truth, for knowledge, for discovery, for scientific discovery, right? This isn't opposed to science, right? Like science is just the uncovering of what God has made. God has created everything that scientists are gonna discover, that, we're gonna, that we have progress in, Right? God has created all those things and now it's a human endeavor to kind of uncover or open up or figure out what God has already created. So it's a way of seeing the world through the lens of God and everything kind of falls under um, the, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of truth. Okay, So I go into that because we we can kind of just look at the Genesis one one and be like, oh yeah yeah God created this and I get that and I'm not I'm not maybe not an atheist so I get all that but I think some of us can kind of get over into this this idea of theistic humanism if we're not careful and it will impact the way we live here in just a second okay so God is the author of the story right it's God's story he's writing it he speaks things happen right he, his words create. Um, everything in this story that we find ourselves in. It's the story of history, the story outlined in the Bible. Listen to Genesis 1 through 3 now. Um, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void. It's hard for us to imagine. There was just nothing, just nothing here, right? And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, It's just it. Just God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. And then we see throughout the creation account, God says, let there be blank, and it's boom, it's created, right? It just happens. God speaks, and things happen. So reality is created by God's words, right? And that's a big idea, right? And so when we start thinking about God writing our story, when God says you're valuable in his word, are you going to believe that? His words are speaking value into your life, right? Or are you gonna listen to some other thing that wants to define you or wants to bring reality into your life? No, God's reality, God created you as someone who has value and he says that. His words matter. God created us again in his image to know him and glorify him. There's three components to that kind of idea. He created us in his image, second to know him, Third, to glorify him. So we're quickly going to go through these three kind of ideas of that statement. And in each of these, there's going to be kind of a half-truth and there's going to be an application. Okay? And these half-truths are really important to listen to to make sure we're not buying into those things. Okay? Look at Genesis 1.26. Let's talk about this idea of being created in his image. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we are created in God's image. Created in His image, after His likeness, male and female. Okay, so He's created us good. If it's in His image, we have to be created good. We're holy. We're different. We're completely different than all other points of creation. Right. All the other creation kind of comes under the creation of human beings, men and women. So why? When we're talking about ethics, we should always put care for humans above care for the earth, right? Or care for animals. It's not wrong to care for animals. I love animals. It's not wrong to care for the earth, right? But we should always put the care of humans before those other things. Why? Because those things aren't made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God. And they demand, and we, we need to have a different um, look on humans, and we do those other things. So He creates us in His image, and therefore we are good. We are created good. We have value. We have worth. and Genesis one thirty one says this, and I saw that everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. Right. So again, just more emphasis there. Right. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. If we go through the rest of creation, we know that this is the only time He says it's very good. Right? A little detail there, but after the other things he creates, he says, good, good, good. He gets to man, man and woman, he says, oh, this is very good. This is, this is really, really good, God is saying, after he makes man and woman. Now, the, half, the half-truth here that we have to be careful of when it comes to being made in his image is that I think we can quickly say, yeah, I know that God made me, I know, but we quickly move on from that thinking, okay, now I have to come up with my own identity. Or I have to kind of fight to have value and worth in this life. Or I, my value is determined by how people treat me. We quickly move on, we move off from why were we created? Back to the Forky example, right? Forky forgot really quickly why Bonnie created him. Right, He goes and runs back in the trash can. Why, Forky? Because he, he goes back to his old identity. I'm just trash. And Bonnie saying, no, you're my toy. I want you here with me. I want to play with you. I want you in my backpack. I want to take you home with me, right? So she forgets what she was made for. So we always have to remember, yes, we were made by God, but we are still connected to God because he's the one that speaks value over us. We're good because he made us. We're not good because we accidentally kind of came out of creation in some way or we evolved. I don't think that's true. I think we have value and dignity and worth because we're made by a creator God who says, this thing I'm creating, it's good. It's valuable. It has worth. Okay? We are good because God said we are good. That's why we're good. We're not good because of what we do or where we were born or what color of our skin color is. We are good in Genesis 1 and 2 because God says we are good. And we know further into the story, it, it, it moves on from this. But we need to remember, this is how God created it. Things were good. Now, what's our application here? Our application for this was is we need to remember this, right? We need to remember that we're made in his image. We need to remember that we have God's uh, prints on us, his handiwork. He fashioned us. He made us. He created us. Those of you who study medicine or know the human body, like, it's crazy, the, the detail and the intricacies of how God made us. And we need to remember that when we're feeling down about ourselves. When we feel like we're not worth anything or worth somehow less than because of how someone's treated us or someone else has given us a different identity. But no, God made us and he made us exactly the way we are. And it's good, God says. So next, so he made us in his image, which means we're made good. In Genesis 1 and 2. He creates us for relationship with him. That's the second idea, right? He creates us for relationship, for us to know him. So he didn't just create us and say, hey, just exist. Just go off and kind of do your own thing. I made you. But now just, just, just go off and kind of, yeah, do whatever you want to do. No. He made us for relationship. We see in the garden. Like there was this confined space, right? It was a garden of Eden. It had borders around it right? And God spent time with Adam and Eve. It appears that he's kind of hangs out with them. He talks to them daily. We see Genesis two fifteen through 17 here. This the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. So he's just kind of like coming up, seems like he's just there with Adam. He says, hey, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Right? So he's it just seems like there's this ongoing conversation with him. And then it, in Genesis 3, we see that after Adam and Eve sin, God is just walking around. And it says in the cool of the in the cool of the day, he's walking in the garden. And they kind of talks to Adam and Eve there, right? After they after they sinned. So God created us for relationship, for us to know him. You think of the idea of a mirror, right? A mirror is made to reflect um, an image back to whatever is in front of that mirror, but the the, the mirror only works if there the, this this person is in line is in a certain space and where we're together with that mirror. So in order to do this, the the mirror one has to be facing the object that it's reflecting. Right? It has to be in somewhat proximity of the person it's reflecting. It has to have the right angle to be able to capture an accurate image. And the mirror must really be in right relationship with the object in order to get an accurate reflection back. So if we're going to reflect God, if we're going to glorify him, if we're going to honor him, if we're going to serve under him in the world... We need to be in proximity to him. We need to be in relationship with him. And because he made us, he gets to define the rules of the relationship. He gets to define how things are going to work itself out. That's why in the garden, he gives clear kind of directions here to Adam and Eve. Hey, you can have all of this. All of the garden of Eden is yours. To, to, to enjoy, to experience with, with all of your senses. Enjoy it. Just, just one thing, right? Like, just don't, just don't touch this tree, okay? Just leave this tree alone, but the rest of it you can have. God sets the boundaries of the relationship, and he can do that because he created us. Whenever I make something, whenever we make something, the creator gets to determine how the creation functions, what the rules are for the creation, okay? That's part of being the creator. Now, the half-truth here is that God created us, and now we get to live independent of him. Now we get to do whatever we want to do. We get back to this idea that he kind of makes us and just lets us go. We have no boundaries. We have no guidelines. We have no framework for how we live our life. Um, we get to decide what's right and wrong. We get to kind of, kind of determine, hey, this is, the way, this is the way it feels good to me. Therefore, this is the way I'm going to live. So we become kind of the definers of what is good, what is right, instead of coming to god and letting him and his word define what is good and right and was going to bring us life and freedom and joy okay and really it, it, the, the, uh, this deistic idea or we kind of want to give praise to god in in some ways and in some areas we're like yes this part of my life it is all yours god but over here we're like no nah, i'm going to kind of do my own thing cuz i feel this way or i want to act in this way so i'm just going to kind of pretend you don't speak to this But over here, I'm willing to give you all of this part of my life. God created us. He knows what's best for us. So he gets to determine what is right and wrong. He gets to determine the guidelines. So application here, we are made for relationship with him, for a close relationship with him. And we have the privilege now through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus in here, we have the ability through the Spirit to to, to spend time with him anytime we want to. It's a constant reality for us that the Spirit is inside of us. It's kind of up to us how we structure our lives to really experience him and to know him and to sit in his presence. So when we talk about quiet times and silence and solitude and prayer and reading the Scripture consistently, all of these things point back to we were made for relationship with him. One of the marks of maturity of a Christian, if you're just thinking about, am I mature, how am I growing, how am I doing with this, is is how often do you just sit in his presence? How often do you are, are reminded just to stop everything and remember that the Holy Spirit is inside of you? And you have access to the Father, and you can spend time with him, you can talk to him, you can hear from him in his word, in prayer. Lots of different ways. That is our application for we were made for relationship. Lastly, he creates us to glorify him. We have a purpose. We have a way to live that glorifies him. Let's look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then this is the key here. and Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here's verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here's what you should do. Right? Humans, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created us for a purpose. right? Yes, he created us in his image. We're good. Yes, he created us to know him in relationship, but he also created us to to live in, to live in such a way, right to live the, to, in a way that's going to glorify and honor him. There's really two ideas in this in verse 28 here We see that the first thing he calls us to do be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Um, this is what can also be referred to as the cultural mandate, this statement in, in verse 28. Um, Really what this means is we're to fill the earth with other image bearers, right? We're to fill the earth with other image bearers. We want to kind of, we we want to communicate the goodness of God, communicate his glory by making more of us and in pushing out the garden of Eden. That was God's design from the beginning, right? Push out the garden of Eden by creating more image bearers, right? And to, to, to fill the earth, to fill it and to reveal the glory of God. Secondly, to subdue it and have dominion over it. These two words subdue and have dominion or rule over, have really this posture of like benevolent care, right? we're, we're given these things. We're given these things. This is our this is our, our title. This is our responsibility. And we're to have the po- posture that says, okay, God, you've given us the, the earth, right? You've given us the things to work with. You've given us the raw materials of your creation. Now, now God wants us to to to, to use it right, to build cities, to create art, to build culture, to, 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 to uh, cre- have, uh, discover things in the scientific world, right, understand how the world works, understand how the human body works, right, this is part of having dominion and subduing the rest of creation, right, God is executing his plan through us, and we are, we are to rule with kind of this posture of kings, right, to have the rule and dominion, but we do it in a very priestly way. And we notice Jesus has both of those things. He's king, he's also priest, right? So we are kings, we're rulers, and we have authority, and we have dominion, but we do this in a priestly way, in a way that's gonna care well for the things that have been entrusted to us. Now, the half-truth, it's pretty easy to guess on this one, this life is all about me. God created me, yes, I I believe in a God, but now I'm just gonna kind of do whatever I wanna do. I'm going to be influenced. I'm going to to take the knowledge from all these other places, kind of build my own kind of philosophy of life and kind of live however I want to live. Maybe it's I'm going to soak up everything God has to offer in this world and just chase the pleasure until I die. And yeah, maybe I'll go to heaven or something after that because he made me and, and whatever. But instead of God saying, die to yourself, live for me and live for others, make the world a better place for those following you, right? Be an influence on others, those types of things that come out of things like um, the Sermon on the Mount. The half-truth is this life's all about me. Yeah, he created me. If I really need him, I'll pray. If I get in a bind, I'll pray to him. I'll cry out to him, ask for help. But I, this, this life isn't really about him and me being a steward of everything he's given me to have dominion and, and authority. He's really just given me the ability just to kind of do whatever I want to do. That's a half-truth, right? God gives us this life. That's, that's what's true. About it. He gives us this life, but we are to do it under him and considering that he has stewarded to us the rest of creation. We don't abuse or exploit creation. This, this kind of combines, again, those roles of king and priest, to rule but also to serve. And we see this modedly perfectly in Christ. Now, application. This one's easy, right? It's, it's, it's kind of the hands piece. It's the go and do piece. Anything in the scriptures that God is telling us to go do, it kind of can fall under this cultural mandate. We preach the gospel. That's the way we subdue, have dominion, and fill the earth with other image bearers or other Christians. right? We preach the gospel. We make his name known. We love each other. We love our enemies. We kind of obey the Sermon on the Mount, right? Do what the Sermon on the Mount is saying, telling us to do. We serve. We create good art, we create great cities. We stand up for the marginalized. We give voice to those who don't have a voice, right? If we take our occupation, instead of asking, how can I get what I want out of this? We say, how can I kind of participate in the cultural mandate to be able to subdue and to have dominion over this area of expertise that God has put me in? How can I make the world a better place and have good influence on my, the people around me by doing really good work, doing really good things in what God has called me to do, this is the way we live out, and this is the way we honor and glorify God. Again, he created us in his image to know him and to glorify him. And what we know and believe about God in creation, it changes the way we live. and answers that big why question. Why are we here? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? And it's easy to answer that, I think, sometimes when things are going well. But when things are difficult, when you're wrestling with issues that are happening in our culture and trying to figure out what side do I fall on, Um, all of those types of questions, we have to be able to go back to, why was I created? What am I here for? What am I going to do with the years on earth God has given me? We go back to the creation, the why, why we're here, why we exist. It sounds really easy, right? Like we just leave it there. It's like, okay, Let's just go and, and be good stewards of everything God's given us, realizing we were made, for, um, were made in his image and made for a relationship. Let's go. But we know that this is difficult, right? Because we're not to the next part of the story yet, but next week we're going to look at Genesis 3. That's the next act of the story, and this is the fall, right? Things go poorly. Things go wrong. It'll make it impossible for us to image God perfectly. It'll make it impossible for us to... Be good stewards of what he's given perfectly, right? We will fail over and over and over because of sin. What did God do? He knew, he knew he, we couldn't do this. He knew. So he sent someone who does image him. The exact representation of God, Jesus. He represents God perfectly. He is the, the, the true and better um, steward. He's the true and better creation. He's the true and better human for us to look to for salvation. So we realize that we can't do this on our own. None of us can, can succeed at this. None of us can be good enough. None of us can live up to the creation mandate that's been given to us. And the quicker we realize that and come to peace with that, and realize I can't do this. I need someone else. We humble ourselves. We turn to God in Christ and confess that we we haven't imaged you perfectly, but realize there is one who has imaged imperfectly, and we trust and believe in Jesus. So the Bible calls repentance, ongoing repentance is saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need someone to help me. Jesus has died for us. We're united to Him. That's good news. And then He gives us His Spirit to actually motivates us and moves us and empowers us to do really really well the things He's asking us to do through the power of the Spirit. So when we do this, when we are good stewards. We do build great cities when we make good art, when we serve well, when we love our enemies. We don't pat ourselves on the back. We say, no, this is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. Like, I, I, if, you knew, if you knew who I was, you knew I, I couldn't take credit for any of this. It's God working in me through his spirit. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. Mm-hmm. That goes back to creation, right? Because God created us to glorify him, to honor him to point to him, to enjoy the things he's given us in this life, but say, these things, aren't for these don't, things don't end with me. They're to, to honor you, to praise you, to thank you for the things that have been given to us. And as we follow Jesus, we become over time more conformed into his image. We become more and more like the image bearers that he created in Genesis 1 and 2. We never get there, though, this side of heaven. We can't get there. When Jesus returns, or when we pass away, if we're in Christ, then we will have, we will image God perfectly in heaven. So, our hope is the gospel. We need to be mindful of why we were created, why we're here. We need to be good stewards. We need to live in relationship with Him. We need to see ourselves as valuable and worthy because He's the one that made us, and His word is powerful. He speaks life over us. And we need to remember all those things. But when we fail, which we will, we need to humbly go to Jesus, say, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need help. I need, I need you to empower me with your spirit next time so I can do better the next time through your spirit. Not not through my performance or my effort, but through your spirit. Let's pray. Father, I, I love that you're clear in your word why you created us. We don't have to try to figure out why we're here, what's our purpose. And even in those small, the, the, the questions that we ask in life that are more specific, like where should I live? What should I do? Where should I go to school? Who should I date? Who should I marry? All of those questions tether back and tie back into the bigger idea that um, we were made to know you, To realize that we're image bearers and to be good stewards of everything you've given us. And those things are connected to you. We can't run off and do our own thing now that we're created. That's not the way you designed it. You designed it to be for us to be in relationship with you. Well, help us. Help us fight those urges to do this on our own. Or to see you as kind of this this accessory to the life that we're trying to build or seeing you as kind of this, this one of many things that's important to us. Instead, I pray you would help us see you as ultimate, as our creator, as the one who's given us guidelines, as the one who wants us to flourish, wants us to be the kind of people who image him well, that we would trust, We would trust that you're good, trust that your word is good, and trust that, Your son has lived, died, and rose again to glorify you, but also to redeem us. Help us believe that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.